it's great that the the younger generation uh, feel like they can talk openly about this. They're getting so much more confidence and stuff like that because they've they feel like they've been listened to and heard, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. That's Alapate Carlisle, an ex-AFL veteran who played more than 150 games for Port Adelaide between 2005 and 2016. He's also one of the few Fijian-born players to ever play the game at the top level. Affectionately known as Bobby, he found his identity and a sense of meaning in sport that was missing from his life, and it put him on the path to becoming who he is today. When they do open up, it's so um, revealing that you get to, and like it's a privilege to be able to sit there and listen to some of the stories. From a young age, Bobby felt like he wasn't Fijian enough to be Fijian and not Australian enough to be Aussie, and he grappled with the question of where he truly belonged. Once he was empowered to accept that he could proudly be both, it was a light bulb moment that changed everything. That identity is like a, a huge thing to finally bed for any individual, and I think it's probably probably builds the base of everything else that can come from your life. Since hanging up the boots, he's gotten to work as the Port Adelaide Football Club's multicultural programs manager, mentoring young people to take ownership of their cultural identity and love who they are. He's a passionate educator, a strong advocate for racial equality, and an inspirational leader to the next generation of multicultural Australians. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast all about young men's health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's do it. All right, Bobby, you are born in Fiji. Sugar City? Latoka, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, up north of the main island, which is pretty... Um, yeah, was, uh, I went back there oh, about five years ago, and the, it honestly looked like it hadn't changed, apparently, Mum told me. So I was yeah, pretty pretty um, thrown back by it, to be honest. And were you just a little baby when you were there? What age did you move over to Australia? Yeah, it was roughly uh, four or six months old, I think. Um, we got forced out because of a military coup. Um, I joke around that one of the uncles got angry at the other uncle um, over there and, yeah, got yeah, got thrown out because so, Dad's Australian and uh, Mum's Fijian and, yeah, so all Australians were told to move back to Australia to get out of there because it was starting to get pretty, uh, pretty violent over there apparently at that stage. So, yeah, we bounced around Melbourne for a few years until um, I was about four and then moved up to the country to help my grandfather out in the farm. So I grew up in Wangaratta. So, yeah. All right. How big's Wangaratta? Uh, surrounding, it's about probably twenty thousand people. Yeah. Um, and at that stage, it seemed like we were the only family of colour in the in the whole town. So it was uh, it was interesting growing up, and yeah, it was a good experience because we'd get up and feed the horses and the chickens on the farm, and yeah. you know, wrestle cattle and sheep and stuff okay. like that. So it was uh, it was good fun growing up. And the farm stuff was that. Uh, the reality for your mum in Fiji prior to, or did they? She learned that when she was with your uh, dad. Nah, she um, so she was working in a uh, like a resort when she met dad. So yeah, she was um, yeah, I probably never had really had an in depth conversation about some of the stuff that she faced when she come across. Um, she was uh, a mum for us for a, a number of years until she started getting into aged care work. So. Um, and she's been doing that since, and now she's getting into the disability sector as well. So she's um, yeah, been a uh, career in that, so it's been uh, good for her. And so when do you have your earliest memories from about what age was that? 
pretty much on the farm or what do you uh, remember? Was probably in, when we were uh, in Williamstown in Melbourne, um, just in, uh, uh, probably kindergarten and then going into primary school. Have a few memories back there and um, yeah, Williamstown was awesome for us growing up and yeah, close to the beach and all that. And then uh, obviously growing up in the country was yeah, just another another chapter that we sort of went through and it was, um, yeah, I lived there till I was 18. So it was a, it was a good experience. So you count yourself as a country boy? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've got some, <laughs> got some stuff that the wife still tells me is very, very country. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, uh, it was, it was awesome growing up and you, you sort of learn to make do with what you got out there and, um, growing up, we'd really focused on just sport and hanging out with mates and, uh, just having fun, pretty much. So yeah. it, was a, it was good. The wholesome activities. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of bike riding, a lot of um, – yeah, we lived at the foot of the Warby Ranges, so we'd uh, pretty much go up there a little bit and uh, muck around up on the tracks up there and running through the hills up there and um, going to different waterfalls and all that sort of stuff as a kid. And then, yeah, obviously pretty into basketball when I was a junior, so we were – had a group of mates that were really, really close. Um, and we all went to the high, same high school together and stuff, so we had a pretty strong basketball team travelling around the country, so it was awesome. Yeah, right, so you're pretty much always doing something, it sounds like. Yeah, it was always something sporty or physical. And, like, the, um, we started playing the Nintendo 64 for about two months, and I quit because I was, I, was, I was over it, and I hate video games. Oh, man, so. I used to sit there for 12 hours a day playing Zelda back in the day. <laughs> Uh, we had the, um, what was it, James Bond 007? Oh, GoldenEye? Yeah, with yeah, man, DK that was, mode. That was uh, a classic. Nah, the brothers oh, your, that were Your friends fun. would beat you in that and you'd say, let's play basketball instead. Yeah, I'd rather go shoot hoops because yeah. I was crap at it. So no, yeah, it, was, yeah. uh, it was good fun. Was yeah, good kids fun. these days have got no hope. <laughs> oh, mate. Far too entertaining. Oh, mate, they got every every option on the end of the sun. So yeah. they're, uh, they're pretty blessed these days. and. Apparently, I found out the other day you can make a quit out of it too. So oh yeah, big time, millions, oh, massive. But you can't because you have to be. You have, you have to, to be, be half decent. decent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the? They got a new thing called. Is it Stitch or something or, or uh, Switch? Yeah, Switch. The Nintendo Switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're showing your age, man. Yeah, I don't know what's going on? But, yeah, I'm guessing these days. <laughs> the kids will show you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and so you said you you felt like you're pretty much the the only family of color. Did you remember noticing that, or didn't really didn't wasn't really a factor for you? Um. It probably I probably noticed it when I was about uh, going into year seven, uh, so changing into high school, um, just looking around and uh, followed my brother. Obviously, he was uh, a couple of years older than me, um, and he was yeah. He, we'd always walk around and um, just look around and think, oh, mum's different to every other mum here. So, but it never really worried us because. Because we're um, sport in country towns is huge. It's like um, it's like a second religion out there for oh, yeah. everyone, and yeah. they sort of focus on it. So I figured the better you are at sport, the, the less they're going to worry about anything else. So yep, sure. um, we put so much time and effort into being sporty. Um, Mum obviously ran around with the three of us, but then had the two younger ones as well. So. It was uh, it was it was good growing up because you know the, you knew that if you could play sport that you'd um, everything else was forgotten about a bit. So yeah, right. It was good. Did you come up against any grief from anyone, or people generally pretty good about it? Uh, probably the only grief I got was from my close mates. <laughs> it was uh, it was more a bit of tongue in cheek, and I never mm. really um, thought about anything like racism wise or anything until I got drafted. Um, 
and then even then I was just like oh it never never occurred to me to think about the impact that it had on the person their family their community um, people they were connected to friends wise and stuff like that because I just never let it sort of rock me to be to be honest and then I started to do some research on some of the impacts that it had on some of the boys, especially closer to me. Um, and, yeah, that sort of stuff sort of threw me back a fair bit. Mm. So when you say you noticed it in the, in the draft, how did, it, how did it come up or when did you first start to look at it differently? Oh, just uh, focusing on diversity at the draft camp was like I'd have my mates, but then I'd look around and there'd be other, other guys of colour walking around and I'd be like, oh, how good's this, you know, sort yeah. of thing. And the only other colour that I'd seen um, – was when I'd go to like train at Shepparton, which was an hour away, or Aubrey Wodonga, where there was like there was a lot of there was a big Indigenous uh, population at Shepparton, and a few of them actually come up and like give me a high five and stuff because I thought I was Indigenous at that stage. So I was like, oh, you know, how good is this? And then um, yeah, some yeah, some of the stuff that I've witnessed back there, I look back and I was like, yeah, that's probably not ideal and like how I'd how I'd react and the experience that I've had that. I'd look back on it now and I'd be like, oh, that's, I'd react differently to that. Yeah. So at the time you didn't think too much of it or read too much into it, but being a bit more researched now, looking back, you see, oh, perhaps that wasn't actually appropriate and you'd handle it in a different way now. Yeah, definitely. And that comes with um, experience. Um, like a lot of, a lot of, sadly, a lot of the Indigenous players and stuff experience racism all the way through and they see that as racism, whereas I, I was a different, because I had a different upbringing. So... Um, but in saying that's made me learn and want to learn a lot more about it. And, um, yeah, obviously looking back, I'd, uh, I'd probably change a few reactions to some of the stuff that I witnessed. And for your Indigenous mates and talking about what, what they experienced, have you seen that along the way and for them or have they told you about it? Or Yeah, they a uh, few of them have. They've um, been pretty uh, – it's just hard a lot of the conversations because uh, it's a pretty emotional thing to talk about, um, yeah. especially with, when they were younger um, and feeling like they were alone. Like that's the hard part is witnessing the raw emotion that these sort of conversations bring up for the for the Indigenous guys or even the multicultural guys that I, I talk to and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, it makes it uh, pretty tough. But when they do open up, it's so um, revealing that, you get to and like it's a privilege to be able to sit there and listen to some of the stories because it's uh, it puts things into perspective in in life right now with everything going on in yep. the world that you know there's there's actually merit behind uh, the push the movement um, and there's so many people uh, willing to actually learn and educate themselves which is awesome and we just need to keep pushing that message absolutely and you have a lot of those conversations I'm guessing yeah they're starting to get more and more um, which is a two thing it's like a um to a, a double-edged sword so one that people are getting more confident in talking about it um which is raising the awareness but also like it uh, raises the statistics to truly reflect what's going on in the communities and australia so i don't i don't think uh i'm not sure if like there's probably a little bit more um racism around right now uh, with everything going on mm. but in saying that, it's it's people actually getting the confidence to tell their story. Yeah, now. it's that the spotlight's on it. Um, so perhaps, I mean, it's hard to know, but it's just bringing to light the racism that was there under the surface and bringing it to the surface so it seems like it's 
everywhere, which you probably have a bit of a idea that in some respects it is, but it's just it's more in people's uh, mind and attention at the moment. Yeah, a lot of the people I talk to are like, oh, well, why should I talk up when nothing's going to happen? Whereas now they've actually got the, the – it's like creating a pathway for these guys to sort of walk to be able to – Voice their uh, voice their stories and actually um, giving them the confidence to talk about it on stuff like social media and um, mainstream media and, and other uh, avenues where they can actually talk about some of the stuff that's happened to them. Yeah, which I guess is a massive step, and that shows at least that well, there's that vehicle there for people to be able to speak up and be heard now, but also through programs like yours and talking to people like you, people are getting that that courage to be able to start to come forward with stuff which is definitely a good thing yeah definitely and it's yeah. uh it's great that the the younger generation uh feel like they can talk openly about this they're getting so much more confidence and stuff like that because they've they feel like they've been listened to and heard mm. um, which is awesome yeah and you're big on cultural identity and i think you said in the past that growing up you felt like you weren't fijian enough to be fijian but you weren't Aussie enough to be Aussie uh, or something along those lines. Can you just talk about what you meant by that? Yeah, so um, just being uh, stuck in between in limbo is a real difficult place for anyone to sort of live uh, their life. And uh, I went through some mental health battles on my own because I I look back on it and it was like an identity thing where I, like you said, didn't feel Fijian enough to be Fijian and didn't feel Australian enough to be Australian. So it was um, was a a difficult place place but now I'm I'm at peace with it and like I understand that it's okay to be both um, you don't have to be one or the other and uh, it's helped me so much more in my life to understand that identity is like a, a huge thing to finally bed for any individual and I think it's probably the probably builds the base of everything else that can come from your life so I think it's really important and did you put that pressure on yourself at the time, feeling like you had to be one or the other, but frustrated that you couldn't be because you couldn't change, obviously, who you are? Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it was uh, it was frustrating because I would f- like fit in with both moulds, and that didn't sit with me because I was always thought that I had to be one or the other. Right. Um, I always blamed uh, my sometimes blamed my family for not being more um, directive towards being one or the other. Yeah. So, and then like in conversations, I'd say, oh, I'm just Fijian or I'm just Australian, whereas the reality is I'm both. Yeah. And just to be comfortable with that is like it's a, it's a, it's a, funny, it's a funny feeling, but when you do, ha- when it does happen, it's like one of those light bulb moments. Yeah, so you were just trying to define yourself, I suppose, as a young man and wanted to fit yourself into a category Perhaps so you could understand yourself or just have that sense of belonging. Yeah, and to and the other part about it was to to find a passion. So to find a passion with uh, in the multicultural space was big for me because I was I was trying to um, do the right thing by my family with study and stuff. Like um, I was always really good at maths and stuff like that. So uh, I followed down the path of trying to be a, a construction engineer and. Um, different parts and that were really focused on that. Yep. And then I just uh, was never well, – I got through about six different uni courses. I started them all but never finished them. So right. I was just like, what's the point of uh, wasting my time trying to follow something that I'm not really into? 
Um, was that before the AFL or during? No, it was during. Yep. So right at the start of my career, I started about three or four different courses and I was just like, no, nah, none of them are for me. Yep. Um, I was just not passionate about it. And then uh, obviously- You sure I better be good. <laughs> yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to stop wasting my time. <laughs> but because uh, I was going for a fair few coffees down at Chivo and stuff like yeah, that with yep. the boys and yeah, um, sort of wasting time a little bit, but- um, yeah, my parents were always like, you got to do something, you got to find something outside of football. Yeah. And they were a big push for that, which was really positive for me because looking back on it now, if I didn't sort of try to find something, I'd, I don't know where I would have ended up. Yeah. And you must come across a lot of players who end up in that scenario where they have their 10 year career or, or even shorter sometimes, but don't, don't think outside of that because, you know, there's a lot to it. And then they get to the point where they're not not sure where to go. Yeah, well, a fair few of them have the like uh, the average. I think career is about three and a half years, so yeah. it's not all. It's well, not really that long. No, that's um, very short. So a lot of them are coming out at twenty one, um, sometimes a little bit younger, um, and really being shell shocked with some of the, uh, the the choices they have to make. So that's that's another big thing about being an AFL footballer. Everything's pretty structured for you. Um, you get told what to do. Yeah, it's a bit. It's got that military sort of organisation to it. Yeah, so you got you you got to, you're dictated to everything you do, like you the way you eat, um, what you eat, um, your, your sleeping patterns, um, everything sort of measured. Whereas when you get out of that system, a lot of the boys find the the over find themselves being overwhelmed with choice. Mm. So understanding your identity is a real big part of that because you understand what you're doing each day as a focus outside of football is a really important part. And were you switched on to that when you were playing? Did you always have that in your mind or no. you weren't at that point yet? <laughs> Not at all. Not no, at no. All. Um, it sort of came uh, when I became a multicultural ambassador. Yeah. I started to really uh, sort of find passion towards that space and – I did some study, which I finally finished one, and I was like, oh, how good is this? I thought oh, I've achieved something out of football other than just kicking. And what was that? Fisking. I was a education support um, through RMIT. So it was a two-year course. I did it with a few of the boys, like Chad Wingard and yep. uh, Brendan Archie and a few of the others, which was really good, and Jake Need. So cool. uh, it was, yeah, it was uh, awesome that we got through it. Um, and uh, it was just a sense of achievement that I thought, well, you know, it'll um, sort of keep building. So it's been uh, really good that I've been able to stay in that space and uh, really make something of it. When did you start looking at your Fijian heritage? Did you want to know more about it from a young age and were you sort of frustrated that you didn't have that offered to you or did you? was it later on? Um, it was later on. Like I would, I would uh, go back to Fiji a lot more when I was playing. Um I'd go back once a year during off season for the first probably seven or eight years of my career. You still um, have family there, yeah, so much family, and um, going back and I'd feel uh, I'd feel loved and welcomed and everything, but just disconnected because I couldn't understand the language. Yeah, didn't speak the language. I didn't uh, didn't understand the customs, the culture, and stuff like that. So I felt um, that whole like an f- outsider. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. I wanted to uh, to explore that, so doing stuff like trying to f- find out the language and stuff, and yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting journey, and I'm still on the uh, the kids sort of book with the language, and yeah. sort of working through it a little bit, so it's been good, and uh, trying to teach my kids as well, um, as as well as myself, has been um, been pretty fun. And you still head over there 
every now and then. Uh, we, oh, not lately. Always, yeah, obviously. <laughs> it's been the, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I went back uh, three or four years ago for um, uh, my mum's 50th was uh, and my sister's wedding. So big occasions these days because it's, uh, it's hard with the two kids um, with immunisations and stuff because it's a third world country and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. They, um, yeah, a lot of the kids over there aren't immunised, so if, the, if our kids copped anything, we um, wouldn't forgive ourselves. So. Okay, right. Um, and what have you learned from or taken from that culture that's become part of you that's, uh, you know, something strong? I think something that's always been a part of me is um, being relaxed. Um, yeah. So a lot of people said, just said there was a knock on major in football was uh, I was looked lazy and laconic and um, right. everything like that. and. I look back on it and thought, well, is it actually a positive? Because while everyone else was losing their mind, if we were three points down at the last five minutes of the game, that I'd be like still thinking straight, um, being able to direct and lead some of the guys beside me about where to stand, how important their positioning is. Yeah. Um, just focus to, on the game. Not to lose the next contest and stuff like that. So it was that, that was, I, I thought it was a positive, whereas some people thought it was a, a negative. Yeah, and so, is that something that you, the, the club tries to teach players now? They'd rather have players with that sort of a uh, temperament? Uh, I think the club's done a really good job at um, educating the boys on their strengths these days. So focusing on what they do bring rather than focusing on what they don't. Um, uh, obviously working on your weaknesses is something that you have to do at that level, that elite level, because obviously any weakness can get exposed, but... Um, they do a lot more work on what they're good at, especially in the leadership space. And they've done us so much work on uh, empathy and understanding each other. So they understand each other's strengths and who's who who they can look to in certain situations to lead them through the, the some tough times. It's pretty amazing just how involved it is now with footy, especially with just all the background work that goes into it from a psychological perspective and emotionally, all that stuff, they seem to cover every base, whereas I'm sure, you know, 20 years back it was a very different game. Yeah, when I started out it was like you'd sit there and you'd expect to be silent and not talk. Um, but that changed probably two or three years into my career. We started to get um, sort of asked questions a lot more about how we're feeling and all that sort of stuff and we got encouraged to talk to psychologists and Whereas that was seen as a sign of weakness, it actually become a strength of ours that we could uh, that we were encouraged to do that, and um, not only talk about uh, like the stuff that we had to get off our chest, like our feelings and all that sort of stuff, but actually do um, a mental training in t- in terms of being able to uh, visualize stuff, like visualization in in any sport these days is starting to really ramp up. Mm. So it's a really important part of it. It's, yeah, it's just an amazing. Um indication i think that we're going the right way with the mental health stuff especially for men because you're talking about ultra macho culture footballers are, are lauded as being celebrities and sort of are modern day gladiators in australia um that years back would have had that impression that they're really tough and they don't have feelings and they just want to punch on and you know that's that's why we love them yeah but now they seem to be more leading from the front and encouraging players to uh look inwardly at themselves and to be honest about expressing their emotions and i think that shining a light on that is just so positive for the rest of society because all these men that young boys look up to are expressing themselves and then it encourages other people to think that that's all right so i think that's that's pretty massive yeah and i think the 
the influence some of these players have nowadays, especially since they're so uh, able to be reached through social media and other platforms, is really good that they take that on board as being role models and um, they understand that they're under they're under the pump so, uh, scrutiny-wise from the media and the mainstream media mm-hmm. are really after them. Um, and it's, it's, it gives them their own chance to tell the story the way they want. So to be to be someone an advocate for mental health uh, as a as an AFL player is a is a really big deal, especially if they've been through that experience. Mm. So to be able to tell their own stories like really powerful, especially for young kids looking up to these guys that either whether they do or don't want to play um, elite sport or anything like that, just having them as role models is really positive for the community. Yeah, and we're seeing we've seen a few times now AFL players who are picked near the top of the draft, come in and play for a couple of years and then retiring for mental health reasons and then coming out and speaking about that. And I think stories like that, yeah, it's, it makes a difference. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a different world that we're living in today from when I first started. Um, yeah, like the mental health space is huge and there's a heap of pressure on the guys these days, especially like I mentioned earlier from media and stuff like that. But it's important that um, the they sort of take that on board themselves and individually sort of speak out when they are feeling under the pump or uh, when they do feel like a like a massive down phase. Like I said, it's really hard to talk about, especially when you're at the bottom. Yeah, and they don't want to be judged and then potentially still think it is a sign of weakness and then get dropped and then have things get worse. So they're still going to be defensive about that sort of thing. Yeah, a lot of the coaches are a lot more aware now about how the mental health staff can affect their, their on-field performance especially, which is – Let's let's be honest. It's it's pretty much all that some of these people are actually caring about is if if they're getting a kick on the weekend, mm-hmm. um, which is a, like a it's a conversation, another conversation to be had is that these guys are more than just footballers per se. They're they're actually people that have like they play football for two hours on the weekend, so the rest of the week's filled with something, and that's part of being a person and outside of being an athlete. And did you feel? growing up that you got an identity out of playing footy pretty much straight away or did that get stronger as you realised that you were actually pretty good at it and people used to give you some praise for it? <laughs> yeah, it was um, – yeah, the identity piece, I was wrapped a lot around football um, and the other sports I played obviously as well. Uh, but, yeah, football was the the one opportunity on the weekend to get my, at the start to get your name in the paper and, you know. Yeah. During the week, everyone would be like, oh, you played so well. And you just sort of living off that high for a fair bit of it. And then you finally get up to the grades where you're getting really challenged weekly um, against superstars. And then you find yourself drafted and playing against, you know, Jonathan Brown and Brendan Favola and guys like that on the weekends. And suddenly you're thrown in the limelight and the spotlight to be to be someone that's got to be relied on. Yeah. And that creates a fair bit of pressure for some people, which is um, I've, I experienced it and I went through it and went through some really down times, especially around 22, 23. Um, I had about three or four occasions where I wanted to quit. And, yeah. But then, yeah, you sort of just um, buckle up and get back on it and try and uh, get back to the things that make you happy, which is which was a big, big sort of learning ticket for me was to – find some happiness while I was playing football. And then that came about with the identity piece as well, finding an identity outside of football. And so what led you to some of those moments where you, you wanted to quit? Um, what sort of thoughts did you have in your head? Or uh, I was getting – I was after some negative um, feedback um, and some comments and stuff that sort of brought up some uh, some 
bad memories for me for as a as a kid. So uh, constantly getting uh, barraged about being overweight, especially in the AFL game, it's not something you want to go through. But then, um, yeah, that sort of brought up stuff from me as a kid, and I just had these things that I was, these thoughts that I was just like, no, well, why am I doing this? I'm not even enjoying it anymore, and stuff like that. So to find some sort of happiness out of football again was a really big step for me. And what was that for you? I uh, just being able to focus on the reason why I started. Um, and it wasn't for the reasons that I thought I started football. It was, uh, it was actually to hang out with my mates and play with my mates on the weekend and enjoy the the competition of trying to beat someone uh, physically and then help the team to win a game. It was yeah. uh, the reasons that I found were the reasons that sort of drove me, which was good. And were you then able to switch your mindset back to that and try to see it as you know a fun game that you – started off playing for the enjoyment of it? Yeah, it started off with uh, having getting called up to be a mentor for some, one of the younger kids, the younger defenders coming through, and that sort of sparked my my interest in being a teacher and like trying to teach kids um, about the importance of like, – first it just focused on football, but then it started to have conversations about life, about um, the different journey that I'd been on compared to them, about experience and everything like that that sort of added up to – both of us getting to that point so uh yeah just having those conversations was really like uplifting and made me feel like i was had a purpose outside of just football yeah and then it sort of spread from there yeah so sharing that story with others and realizing that you had an opportunity to be a leader and have an impact in that way sort of made it bigger than yourself Mm. and that was how you were able to keep playing and how i could focus on being part of a team rather than all my own faults or challenges that I was going through, it, was a, it, was a, it shifted my focus to being um, something that was not about me anymore, it was about the team and about the, either the back six or the actual team itself. So it was really important and those, those connections that you form with your teammates, with your coaches, um, with everyone else, like your fans and stuff like that in, inside a football club, it is really important that you sort of start to uh, realise that you can have a small impact on on everything else yeah and then there's that ripple effect after that did you have much help to pull yourself out of that or you just sort of had to learn or find a way to do it no i started seeing um the sports psych um matt mcgregor who was uh he was based here in, in adelaide but then he's moved to melbourne um but he was a he was a really big resource and a great resource for me um and he shifted me from talking about my uh, problems and stuff but uh, as such to being uh, to start to do visualization, um, stuff that was going to make me more positive walking out rather than feeling, oh, okay, I've just had a weight lifted off my shoulder, but as soon as I walk out these doors, I'm going to go straight back to being negative again. Rather than doing that, I'd do go on the positive rant and um, actually actually got something out of this session going forward, and it's going to help me, you know, um, visualizing visualizations. Um, uh, just slowing my mind, slowing my thoughts and stuff like that really helped me uh, focus and about what I had to do during the week. What do you find you're often teaching kids these days through the multicultural program? Uh, the huge focus, uh, there's two, probably two focuses and one's on their identity, which um, I, I still think is massive for these, for these young kids um, coming forward, but also uh, trying to, plant the seed for them to do their own um, research and educate themselves on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history 
because there's connections left, right and centre for these kids, for a lot of the multicultural kids in particular, but also mainstream kids and the, the, the kids that have been here for the second and third generation, that there's connections with Aboriginal people because the one constant across Australia is Aboriginal people. There's there's pockets of uh, pockets of different nationalities, different uh, cultural beliefs, different uh, religious beliefs across Australia, but the one constant we face is uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history and, and culture. So it's something that we need to acknowledge and um, see in a, a different light across Australia. And where's that disconnect coming from? Are a lot of kids coming into the program and just choosing not to engage with their culture necessarily or they haven't had it the opportunity to? Or? Well, a lot of them are finding that there's... Uh, they're facing some of the similar stuff that I face with not feeling like they're part of their culture but also trying to be Australian yeah, and trying to sort of feel that sense of belonging, which is um, a, a conversation and something that needs to be had uh, that's got to include their parents, um, which will help obviously the dynamic between them and their, their household at home but also how they how they view themselves in school in in sporting uh, landscape, in um, in work, you know, stuff like that. So, understanding that they've uh, they can have an impact on their own lives, and that it's it's okay, and it's in fact great to be a bit of of both. Yeah, definitely, and just being comfortable in your own skin, in other words, and learning to actually love yourself is pretty um pretty big for these kids. And I know it was a massive lesson for me. It's been a, a huge lesson for a lot of other players and in, in the AFL and other sporting codes because, um, yeah, it's just understanding that you control your own like, mindset and your thoughts, which can uh, obviously have a pretty pretty uh, impactful way of your how you feel and then the, the reactions you have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So understanding that process is huge too. And how do you get them to that point where they are loving themselves and they are seeing things differently? What sort of things do you do? Because obviously it's a pretty touchy emotional subject that's – hard for people to engage with sometimes. So how do you make that happen? Yeah, so we got these uh, through the program. We've got the five assessments, which the first one's just about them getting comfortable talking about themselves. Um, so getting them up in front of the group and explaining their who they are, where they're from, what they know, what they don't know. Because a lot of these, a lot of the kids are shamed um, of not knowing stuff about that they're expected to know about their culture. So understanding that, that that's okay, that's fine. Just be open and honest about it, and tell the truth. Because, um, and then the that helps out with their getting like um, confidence in front of the group because they share in front of their their, their um, classmates, and then they design uh, a Guernsey for the for, for to give to us, and then they have to write an explanation about why that representation is uh, reflective of of either their school classroom or their school community. So that's a really important part because it gets them out and about. It gets them talking to each other. Gets them um, a lot of them focus around their flags because that's what they they visualise their identities with the flag of their country. So yeah. um, and different. They've had different numbers on the back. Like, uh, we were talking before about I think eighty odd uh, different nationalities within within the one school, which is which is huge. Yeah, and that's a that's a pretty diverse community. So. And then we start to branch off into little bits about um, finding out about their strengths. So we encourage them through Harmony Day to design um, and like uh, design different activities for the school to be a part of. And like 
and how that culture, how that's represented, they they get to choose. And we get, they've had uh, kids doing murals on the walls. We've had uh, different uh, students doing cooking um, for the whole school, which is awesome. Different dance, different sports. So they um they're encouraged to be creative and use and focus on their strengths about how they want to sort of. Um, reflect on those like assessments that. Yeah, yeah exactly so and how do you see them change over that time and and how how quickly does it happen yeah it's been um like that's been something that we've wanted to do for ages is evaluate the program which we were lucky enough last year that UniSA did a research project on the social impacts that the program was having um and some of the case studies through the parents uh we had some focus groups where the parents would come along, uh, they'd sit in their own room and talk about the impact that it's having on, the, on their child at home and how it's sort of trickling down to their younger brothers or siblings. And uh, yeah, there was the research project actually shone a light on some of the, uh, the positive impacts that the, the program was having and like the forced conversation about the, uh, about the parents' journey that they'd had to come to Australia at some of the challenges or they moved around a lot or something like that and having that connect culturally um, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history was really eye-opening for some of the parents. So, And uh, some of the conversations that have stemmed from that has been unbelievable. So we've had students that have told their parents that they didn't want to own the chicken shop, which was really successful out, at, out north of Adelaide. They wanted to be a lawyer. So the parents said, oh, we didn't know that about you. And then they supported that uh, journey from, from that point. So. so conversations that they would have been too afraid to have, which they then realise are actually really powerful and helpful and they, their parents don't react the way that they expected they would. Exactly. So um, getting a level of empathy between both parties from, from the parents and the student was um, it was something that was uh, I've seen happening in my head, but to actually watch it unfold was really, really it was amazing. It was pretty cool. I suppose part of it as well is that cultural identity, maintaining that um, as individuals and as groups, but then also sharing across those cultures as well um, and understanding that we're all different and we all have really great things to offer and that you should be comfortable with yourself but also be comfortable sharing with someone else who's different. Yeah, and some of the like, um, some of the conversations between the African kids, for instance, who get all pigeonholed in the one thing as being African, but they've got they've got heaps of different little countries and tribes and stuff that have, uh, some of them are fighting back home. Yeah. So watching that dynamic was really um, interesting as well because the teachers actually had to facilitate the conversation between some of the kids and we found it um, one of our original projects was out of the Kilburn Football Club and we had the, the kids were fighting amongst themselves. And we were like, well, how, how do you expect everyone else not to see this and think, oh, you know, this is normal, we can do it too. So having uh, having that sort of peaceful discussion between the between the kids is a, like a really big, uh, it was a win for both the programs. And what do you find from the, the young men from the, the different cultural backgrounds and just... Um, when they do realise this and they do become more comfortable with their identities, what sort of reactions do you see from them or how do you personally see them evolve from it? Well, firstly, a lot of them are going through that cool phase of being, you know, year 10 boys and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So trying to show off to the girls and get the attention. So it's been <laughs> it's been a, a bit of a twofold sort of attack with the conversation, but having them sort of find out about who they are and the importance of, 
like uh, them finding themselves as a passion as well to pursue after school is really important. They, uh, I see a lot of light bulb moments. There's small light bulb moments for some of them, but they're, they're that's uh, neither that's not the focus. It's that's the, for them to go through these conversations and start to talk about stuff like at, at this point, which is pretty big. And I suppose you can plant the seed, but it's a, and show them like the path to walk down. But then they have to take that step and do it for themselves because you gotta you gotta find that out on your own. You can't be forced into doing it. Yeah, that's the that's the focus of the program is to plant the seed. And it's not to fully um, to know everything by the end of end of a semester long program. It's to actually find that uh, passion to educate yourself on stuff like your own identity, your, how, how that affects you emotionally, um, your, your physical reactions to certain certain situations, um, but also to give, give a level of uh, self-education around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history and uh, empathy for and understanding for some of the challenges that they're facing right now. So it's, uh, it's a connection piece that's really, really powerful when they get when they get it. And how much does it mean to you these days to be able to have a couple of hundred kids and hundreds more before that and be the guy standing up there using your own experience and what you've been through to help them realise stuff earlier than you did? Well, I think the most powerful part for me is having the kids teach teach me and teach the teachers because the, the teachers are really, really influential in these kids' lives right now because um, they spend a lot of time with these kids. So... Understanding that we, if we educate the teachers um, in the in the appropriate way about how to facilitate these conversations, the kids end up teaching themselves. So the teachers can actually just sit back, facilitate the conversation, and they learn as much and they get as much out of the program as the kids do. So that's that's probably the most pleasing part for me and the pleasing aspect is that how much uh, the teachers actually find that this program is so much different to what they normally teach. But it's so rewarding for them. So it's a, yeah, it's it's pretty 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 cool. Pretty cool. It's very cool that you're being able to find something that you're so passionate about after football, and that you know you're arguably having a bigger impact now than you were when you were playing. When it's normally seen that that's the peak of someone's career is is when they're on the on the football field. But you've been you've been able to take it further than that and do something entirely different. It's probably like the identity piece comes back to that again, like. Finding something outside that you're as passionate about is um, it's a it's a big thing for especially for elite athletes like transitioning like if you can find something that gives you like you because you're during football your emotions are up and down like weekly so it's hard to sort of flatten out how you're feeling mentally each week but I find now I feel more uh, more stable um, in my mental approach to everything and I'm um, a lot more it's easier to be happy now which is awesome well i suppose you spend a lot of your time helping other people to generally be happy and then that has to wash off on you so. yeah exactly and spending time with kids is pretty fun anyway and still <laughs> kicking the footy around i guess a little bit too. trying to kick the footy around. <laughs> <laughs> me bloody calf the other day. <laughs> and you touched on it before but when you see that the state of our world at the moment with everything that's happening in america with the protests and then we had our own protests here the other day What's your take on on seeing all of that, and what do you hope comes out of it, or what impact are you seeing it have on some of the, the people that you work with? Yeah, it's um, it's 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 like uh, it's really sad the state that uh, 
the United States is in right now, um, but that's also gone to London and other parts of the world where it's given um, an opportunity for uh, black communities to come out and talk about um, some of the uh, the oppression, the injustices that they faced um, in their history. Uh, we talk about, um, and then to see some of the people come out and say that, uh, you know, Australia's different and all that sort of stuff, but then to watch the amount of uh, people come out on the weekend, on the Saturday in particular, was really like, um, it was probably a wake-up call that, uh, we as as a nation need to face up to, um, and it's a really great time to have this conversation. And I I talk regularly with Paulie Vandenberg, who's one of my good friends, um, about this. That he just wants to have the ca- a conversation with people about and try to educate them about how their words um, and their actions and their beliefs, how it affects Aboriginal communities and Aboriginal people. So the incarceration rates of Aboriginal people is really, really high, um, and that that is another identity piece that they they will go through um, as as peoples. But how we support them um, is is a really big and important piece for us as a nation to get right. So we have to we have to shut up, we have to listen, we have to learn, and we have to continually educate ourselves, which is. Why that? Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in uh, instead of teaching like about the monarchy, <laughs> which yeah, no one it's outdated now. It's outdated now, and uh, talk about our own history because we're we're pretty much our own nation right now, and we need to own up to some of the bad stuff that's happened in our past and the dark times we've been through, especially for our minority groups. So. And in your view, what, what changes after this on a global scale? This has been put into the spotlight and then here at home. But you know, we've seen protests before. There's protests for the environment. There's protests for all sorts of stuff all the time. How does it go further than just anger and and also connection in lots of ways as well and just talking about it? How do we um, get to the next level? I think it's really – we're really at a, a really important junction uh, for us uh, going forward because – it gives everyone the ability, and since uh, it gives everyone the ability to educate um, themselves. But firstly and foremost, we need uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership to come to the front and say exactly how we can go forward and, and how we can support these communities in going forward. So a lot of it, uh, a lot of people have different opinions about how we should do it. But um, the one constant that keeps getting brought up is education. Mm. So educating our youth about um, the history, educating um, the the middle middle age people about some of the some of the stuff that they do right now that is, that hurts people that they may not necessarily even be aware of. Yeah, so it's a, it's a huge thing is, uh, is something that I reflect on is bias. So your unconscious bias and your conscious bias towards people and we see it in different ways every day but to understand that um, this leads to stereotyping both racially um, negative and positive as well um, stereotypes but the like for instance the the influx of um, the increased story of racism towards Chinese Australians because of the coronavirus mm. is something that you know it's a stereotype that's a negative but how do we um, challenge that how do we stop 
that because uh, uh, that's a form of racism again. So yeah, and I guess we got to stop stop laughing at it, stop making jokes about it. Have people who are uh, seen as leaders to say, you know, that that's not funny. And in in your own friendship group, if those sorts of jokes are made, don't encourage it. Little things like that. That's one way to start it because I think those stereotypes often lead into people making fun of certain groups through humour. Yeah, and individually, like having having that set identity again is like really important because you understand where you come from mm. and uh, if if you're coming from a place of uh, positivity, you can still have that conversation in a positive way to say, hold on, you know, that's not good enough. That's that's a shock and joke or. You know, like we're Australians are like generally banter a lot. You know, we're pretty sarcastic. Yeah, we're pretty lenient. But yeah, and really, yeah, lenient. some things cross the line and actually mean a lot more. Yeah, that should be left unsaid. Especially yeah. with the changing face of Australia right now, like the um, like we're forty eight percent multicultural, yeah. for instance, and three percent are Aboriginal. So, majority is with with our with the multicultural and Aboriginal people. Of how like how the Australia's viewed, so understand that some of the jokes that used to used to be okay way back when are probably not okay now. Definitely not okay now. So um, yeah, just having those conversations and educating people on some of the impacts is pretty big for us. And I guess just having being humble, being open to educating yourself, and being open to perhaps changing your perspective and admitting that you actually don't know as much about it as you should. And yes, it does affect you just because you aren't a person of colour yourself doesn't mean that you don't need to know about it because we all have to be part of it. Yeah, and if you do happen to find yourself in a situation where you are having these conversations, have it with an open mind. Don't shut out because of some of the experiences that you've had in your past because that's what challenging this stuff does. It, it brings up, well, hold on, people get defensive when they start to have these conversations, but that's not the point. The point is to actually have these conversations with an open mind and uh, try to have some empathy for the other side to sort of that walk in the other person's shoes sort of stuff when you grow up when, as a kid that your parents sort of drummed into you is really important and something that you should probably embrace and just get, get comfortable feeling that way because these conversations are going to keep going. Absolutely well said. Um, and I think the other thing that we see happening, which is sort of a blurry line as well, is a lot of people like to jump on the bandwagon with these sorts of situations and social media makes that so easy to do where um, I might not know much about the issue at all or particularly care about it but because I want to manipulate the situation for my own my own gains, yeah. my own social yeah. media profile, I'll post something about it or, or have a, a 48 hours where it looks like I'm suddenly an activist about this issue and then switch on to the next thing whenever it comes up. Um, so there is that that bandwagon jumping, are you concerned that when the news moves on from this sort of issue that nothing will have changed or do you reckon it's gone far enough that it has to change now? Well, it was funny because I was seeing like a slide the other day on someone's social media that said, um, support us when we're not trending. Yeah, exactly. So I think that the conversation uh, has to keep going Um and the more often we have it, the more comfortable we'll get having this conversation. Mm. So then the the focus never really shifts. It'll just be a constant. Yeah. And then we'll just keep bringing up instances where people have crossed the line because we're never going to get 100% right. But if we keep encouraging people to talk up when they are feeling um, racial racial abuse or racial prejudice or something like that, 
then that makes it mainstream. So then the conversation can be added to your everyday conversations about about like how the weather is. Like, oh, you know, it becomes Talk a, it about becomes something a, meaningful. Yeah, yeah, and the more and more we have these conversations, the, the better, the more opportunities we can have to educate different individuals about these, about how it makes people feel. And so that's that's a really important step for us. Yeah, and we actually all have to be part of the conversation together rather than just people in various groups talking about it without actually coming together for it yeah, as well. And, and yeah. another good one I saw the other day was it's not black versus white, it's it's everyone versus racism. because no, then that's the problem itself, yeah. isn't it, if you view it that way. Yeah, so, so that's the thing. It's not it's not attacking white people or attacking black people. You know, mm. it's 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 calling out racism for what it is and it's the Chinese getting racially vilified. It's um, the Africans, like we saw with the gangs in, in Melbourne, like the, the, the stereotyping over there was just ludicrous. Yeah. It, was, it was over the top and that's racism. So calling that stuff out regularly as much as we can to make sure that it doesn't like, get unheard and that these stories can continue to get told. Yeah, and so you have a very important job then and one that I'm sure you're, you're very happier in the position you are to have that kind of an influence, especially at a time like this because there's no way that seeing this stuff happen can't bring up questions and, and emotions and, and feelings for the young people that you work with. Yeah, definitely. And some, hearing some of the stories I see, um, like so much like connection with what uh, black people are going through with other like cultures and communities have been through or are going through right now. So it's important to continue to have these conversations and continue to educate. If you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. You can follow Young Blood Men's Health Matters on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, youngbloodmenshealthmatters.com, to stay up to date. We're also on YouTube now, so please subscribe to the Young Blood Podcast channel. And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. This is Young Blood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.